0: Let's turn to Matthew 7. We come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at um, verses 13 and 14 a couple weeks ago, and then the text uh, 15 through 23 last week. Beginning at verse 24, we read in Jesus' name, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Father, these are words that have authority. These are words that are powerful. These are Your words, O God. And Your Word is described as sharper than any two-edged sword. Your Word is life-giving. Your Word is life-sustaining. And Father, I pray that we would be like the wise man who not only hears Your Word, but acts upon Your Word. Spare us, O God, from coming to church and hearing and then leaving unchanged. Father, teach us. Guide us into Your truth, Lord. Your Word is everlasting truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A very wise and intelligent person once said that there are only two kinds of people in this world. The Finns and those who wish they were. I sense that some of you don't quite agree with that. But there is something that you must agree with if you believe the Bible, and that is this. When it comes to salvation, there are only two groups of people in this world. There are the saved, and there are the lost, and there is... Nothing in between. Do you agree with that? All right, that's a little bit more true than the first statement I made, isn't it? In this concluding section of Jesus' sermon, he illustrates this truth in several ways. We saw a couple of weeks ago the narrow and the wide road, one or the other. Uh, Last week we looked at the good and the bad tree, one or the other. And here in our text, as Jesus concludes the sermon then, He talks about the wise and the foolish builder. And so Jesus' point is that you are in one group or the other. You're either on the narrow road or the broad road. You're either a good tree or a bad tree. You're either a wise builder or a foolish builder. And one day, when you stand before God, it will be made clear to everyone which group you are in. I find it very interesting that Jesus ends His sermon with a phrase that issues a very ominous warning. Verse 27, "...the rain fell, the floods came." The winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And that's how Jesus ends the sermon. And to me, that's very striking. Because when we preach as preachers, we usually say we need to end with the gospel, right? Giving people some hope. And yet, Jesus ends with this very clear warning. Ominous statement. Great was its fall. Jesus obviously wanted his listeners to ponder this thought, to think of the end result of those who build their house on the sand. What is the end result of that? It is a great and terrible fall. We need to ponder that thought today as well. What is the result of those who turn their back on Jesus, who may listen to the word, but but do not act on the word. And so let's ponder that thought this morning and let's ask the question, who are the ones whose fall will be great? First of all, notice great is the fall of those who hear the word of God but do not obey it. Jesus begins this final section of his sermon by describing the wise man. And as you heard this text read, you probably thought of the Sunday school song, right? The wise man built his house on the rock. This is what Jesus says about the wise man. therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm not sure what you picture in your mind when you see the word rock. The rock that Jesus is referring to here isn't just a stone or even a boulder. It is much bigger than that. The word rock is the Greek word petra. It refers to what geologists might call a bedrock. In other words, the wise man is building upon the most solid foundation you could ever find, built upon bedrock. And it's not difficult to discover here what this bedrock foundation is because Jesus defines it for us in verse 24. The bedrock foundation is His Word. And the wise man does two things with Jesus' Word. He hears His Word and He acts upon His Word. He listens to His Word, and then He obeys His Word. And what's interesting is that both of these words are written in the present tense, which tells us that this is something that is an ongoing thing. He is hearing His Word. He is acting upon His Word. In other words, there is a consistency to the wise man's response to what Jesus says. He is taking the word in, hearing, and he is living the word out, acting. And that is an ongoing thing in the life of the wise man. So first of all, I want to ask you, are you hearing the word? Are you listening to the word? How many times did Jesus say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear? Do you remember that ad on TV a few years ago about E.F. Hutton? You probably do. When E.F. Hutton talks, what? People listen. There was an ad of children in a classroom and the little girl was reciting the ABCs. Remember that one? A, B, C, D, E, F. And then she stopped. And everyone, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, huh? When Jesus talks, we ought to listen, right? And not just listen, but listen with the intent that It's not just going to go in one ear and out the other, but that this word that I'm hearing is going to change my life because I'm committed to act on that word. There was a missionary who was looking for a word obedience to translate into the language of the people, and it was just kind of difficult for him to find that word, and then one day there was a man with his dog and, and uh, they were talking and the dog ran off and, and uh, the, the man told the dog to come back and the dog immediately came back and sat at his feet. And the man said, um, he's all ears. And the missionary translated that, that's the word, all ears. Listening, and then, what is it you want me to do? Acting upon... That's the wise man. He is hearing and he is acting upon the word. Of course, not perfectly. None of us do. But there is a consistency there. It's an ongoing thing. Now, what's interesting is you might expect Jesus to contrast the wise man with the foolish man by saying that the foolish man does not listen to the word. Isn't that what you'd expect You'd expect them to say, okay, the wise man hears and does. The foolish man, he won't even hear. But Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like the foolish man. So Jesus says the foolish man, he may hear, he may listen to the word, but he doesn't act upon it, which I think may suggest... And I wouldn't press this point, but it may suggest that Jesus is describing the religious people here. He's describing the churchgoers, those who come and hear the sermon on Sunday and think that that's enough. I put in my time, I went to church, and I, I listened to the message, and I even thanked the pastor at the door. So that was a good message. Really appreciated. Your word. But it never gets applied to their lives. They are hearing. They come and listen. They're the religious crowd. But Jesus said they're fools because there's no response, there's no action, there's no obedience. James describes these people, was read this morning from James chapter 1. Those who are hearers of the word, but not Doers of the word. What does James say? But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. How many looked in the mirror this morning? Okay. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. If I told you that I appreciate very much the mirror in our bathroom. And if I told you I noticed there was a big zip on my forehead and I didn't deal with it and I came to church and said, well, what good does the mirror do to you? There's a big pimple on your forehead and you didn't pinch it, huh? And I was bragging about how wonderful it is to have a a mirror. Well, that's what it's like. You see yourself in the mirror of God's Word, warts and all, and you walk away. What does it do? That's who Jesus is describing here. Now, whether you are a wise man or a foolish man, Notice how Jesus said you are going to face a storm someday. Verse 25 and verse 27, they are the exact same words. The wise man, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against this house. Verse 27, the foolish man, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. So it doesn't matter if you are a wise man or a foolish man. The storm came to both. Exactly the same description that Jesus gives. So neither of these men were spared from the storm. It came to both. Some suggest that Jesus is referring to some of the troubles we face in life, the storms in this life. The idea that the, the wise and the foolish are sure to face trouble. And when troubles come, the foolish have no foundation. And that, 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 that is true in Scripture. But I'm not sure that that's what Jesus is saying here. Because if you look at the context of this text, especially if you go back to verse 21 and 22, Jesus is talking here about a day in the future to come. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me, on that day. On that day. That's referring to the day of judgment. And then we come to our text and then Jesus says, therefore... So he's making an application here. And I believe the storm that he's talking about here is not the troubles of this life. It is standing before the judgment of God. And whether you are wise or foolish, we are all going to stand there one day. None of us will escape that. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. So here you have the wise man and the foolish man facing the storm of God's judgment. John MacArthur says the rain, the floods, and the winds do not represent specific types of physical judgment, but simply sum up God's final judgment. Whether one's religion is true or false, one day it is going to be tried. And that trial will prove with absolute finality what is wheat and what is chaff, who are sheep and who are goats, who have entered by the narrow gate to walk the narrow way, and who have entered by the wide gate to walk the broad way. The only difference about the storm in regard to the wise and the foolish men is the way that it affects their houses. The house of the wise man may have been shaken, but it did not fall. For it had been founded upon the rock. And he says this But when the same adversity came upon the house of the foolish man, it disintegrated. And great was its fall. It was utterly demolished. Leaving its builder with absolutely nothing. And he says, That is the destiny of those who build on the sand of man's ideas, man's philosophies, and man's religion. It is not that such people will have little left, but nothing left. Their way is not an inferior way to God, but no way to God at all. Always, And inevitably, it leads to destruction. Its absolute destiny is to fall. So great is the fall of those who hear the Word of God, but they do not obey it. The second lesson we notice... Great is the fall of those who are amazed by the word of God, but do not believe it. Notice how this chapter ends. Matthew says, when Jesus had finished these words, this great sermon, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now it isn't surprising, is it, that people would be amazed at Jesus' teaching? This one who had all authority in heaven and on earth, they heard this message and they were amazed. John seven forty six says that never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. That's what they said about Jesus. Quite a contrast. To the scribes and the Pharisees. And the word translated amazed means literally to be struck out of oneself. To be struck out of oneself. It is used figuratively of being struck in the mind, being astounded, or perhaps the word awestruck would would carry the idea. One author says the crowd was totally dumbfounded by the power of what Jesus said. They had never heard such comprehensive, insightful words of wisdom, depth, insight, and profundity. They had never heard such straightforward and fearless denunciation of the scribes and Pharisees or such a black and white presentation of the way of salvation. They had never heard such a fearful warning about the consequences of turning away from God. They had never heard such a powerful and demanding description of true righteousness or such a relentless description and condemnation of self-righteousness. So when they heard this message, they, they were awestruck. They were amazed. They, they, they were saying, now here is a man that, that, that speaks with authority. But but what the crowd needed that day was not amazement. What they needed that day was a transforming faith in Jesus. Because Jesus didn't tell them these things to amaze them. Jesus told them these things to save them. But most of the people only listened because they didn't want to live the way He called them to live. It was just way too radical. Matthew Henry says, It is possible for people to admire good preaching and yet to remain in ignorance and unbelief, to be astonished and yet not sanctified. I think of a man in the book of Acts by the name of Felix. Remember Felix? Paul stood before Felix. Acts chapter 24. Verse 24, "...but some days later Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus." But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Isn't that interesting? How many times did he hear Paul share about Jesus? How many times did this man hear about Righteousness? self-control and the judgment to come. And he, he was even emotionally stirred by this. But there's no record, at least in the book of Acts, of Felix ever becoming a saved man. He probably admired Paul's preaching, but that was it. He was just a hearer. It never really changed his life. It was at the funeral of one of my uncles many years ago. A man who knew the Lord. But one of my other uncles who did not know Jesus was there. And my dad preached in the funeral home up in Upper Michigan. And it was very obvious that my uncle was stirred by the message that day. And we walked out of that funeral home and I was walking with my mom and dad and my dad was walking by my uncle who didn't know Jesus. And he challenged him, encouraged him to come to Christ that day. And you could tell that my uncle was under conviction of sin. And he said to my dad, he said, Herb, he said, that was a good sermon. But let's just leave it at that. Those were the last words my dad and mom heard from him because a few weeks later, like that, he died of a heart attack. Only God knows whether or not he came to Jesus. Only God knows. But he was stirred. Obviously stirred by the message. He had heard it and had heard it many times. Many times. But by all appearances, he just walked away. I'm sure many of you have heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ clearly presented many times. And maybe some of you have walked away from that message. Maybe you were emotionally stirred at the fact that you will stand before God one day. But you've continued to walk away from Him. I plead with you this morning. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. How? Paul goes on to say, God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus ended this sermon by saying great was its fall. I'm not going to end there. I want to point you to Christ. That He is the answer. He is your only hope. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. He made it very clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one who comes to the Father except through Me. Come to Jesus today. Don't turn your back on Him. Don't walk away. Don't be one of those that just continue to hear, but but it never becomes real in their life. Come to Jesus today. He says, I will in no wise cast out the One who comes to me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that there would be none here today who are like the foolish man who hears the Word but does not respond to that Word. O Spirit of the living God, we know that You call through Your Word. You draw people to Yourself through Your Word. Would You do that here this morning? And give them the grace to say, Yes, Jesus, I, I need You. I've been like those who have heard and have not responded. O God, do Your work in our midst this morning. Help us to be wise, hearing and acting upon the truth of Your Word for the glory and the praise of Jesus. In whose name we pray, Amen.